Hello, I'm Alan Murray, CEO of Fortune Media, and you're listening to Reinventing Wellbeing with GenPact, which is a Fortune Brand Studio production for GenPact without the participation of the Fortune editorial staff. Today, I'm here with my friend Tiger Tayagarajan, CEO of GenPact and the wise sponsor of the Fortune Reinvent podcast series. Also, C.C. Morkin, currently COO, but about to become CEO of Headspace, which is a leading mindfulness and meditation platform. Congratulations on that, C.C. Thank you. Exciting news. There's so many surprising things that have happened in the workplace during this pandemic year, with the instant overnight shift from work to home, the massive acceleration of digitization in almost every industry, But I have to say one of the biggest changes in my experience and in talking to CEOs and other executives is the degree to which employers have gotten involved with the well-being of their employees. I've heard this from so many different people. These days, when a business colleague says, how are you doing? They really mean it. Tiger, are you seeing the same thing? Oh, absolutely, Alan. And I think you said it well. Well Well-being of individuals was always important. Your friend, your colleague the person who worked for you, your boss, but never ever has it been so pervasive, crossed all boundaries, applied to everyone at all times, and it applies to your clients, applies to anyone you speak to. You almost start and end emails these days with that statement. It's just very different. Yeah, and Cece, I saw somewhere that your business has had a five-fold increase in B2B business since the pandemic hit. So you must be seeing the same thing from your business customers. We're seeing a huge impact from it. From our perspective, the rise in emotional and mental well-being as a key focus is potentially game-changing because it affects our overall well-being. And if you just thought about a couple of metrics, 46% of us over the age of 18 will have a diagnosable mental health condition in our lifetime, 26% every year. And half of these conditions actually start before the age of 14. And most of them go untreated. And the main reasons that they go untreated is the stigma associated with mental health and then the cost and the access to help. And so, you know, as the stigma starts to be released, and then you mentioned as we start to see digitization, we have this great opportunity to help so many more people. Yeah, well, let's talk about both of those. I mean, first, the stigma. I guess one of the reasons this didn't come up in the workplace, it often was because people didn't necessarily want their employers or the people they work with to know about it. Tiger, why has that changed? This, you know, has always been below the surface and it really took a pandemic to bring it out. Cece, your comment on 46% has really nothing to do with the pandemic, but the pandemic brought it to light in a major way. Now that it is something we recognize as not just an individual issue, but as a workplace issue, it is our job as leaders to ensure that we pay attention, that we don't let this recede into the background, and that we create organizations that support the entirety of our employee well-being. I really see two things that enable this. One is uh, leadership mindset, which is incredibly important. And the second is technology, which also makes a lot of this possible more than ever. And I'm talking about collaboration tools that help enable that human connection, as well as digital innovation to understand and react to employee sentiment in real time. So what else are you seeing right now? So for example, we've been using an AI powered chatbot, Amber, to keep track of how employees are feeling. 
Amber has really come into its own during the pandemic. We launched it before the pandemic and we use it now every day. It allows us to stay close to the employees. Amber analyzes sentiment. It has allowed us to quickly sense, measure, monitor, and respond to issues as they are in the process of arising, seeing patterns and trends that allow us to systematically adjust. Actually, at a time when Edelman Trust Barometer has found that employee trust in businesses has dropped this year, ours has increased. Our employees are over 20% more likely to recommend GenPAC to family and friends as an organization to work for than at the start of the year. And the perception that GenPAC values and respects his employees has increased by around 15%. So why do you think that is, Tiger? When people work 10, 12, 15 hours a day because we all love it, the reality is that how well we work, how much we are engaged, how we contribute depends so much on the mind. And that mind is impacted by so many things. So measuring that, understanding that, helping people navigate that, I think it's going to be a world of a difference between yesterday and tomorrow. And the other piece of that, as both of you said, is digitization. I mean, Cece, Tiger said in the past, employees might not have thought of taking this problem to the workplace, taking mental health problems to the workplace. I wouldn't have thought of going to an online solution for mental health problems. But now you were in this early. Now Headspace uh, is clearly becoming much more acceptable as a result of the pandemic. Much more acceptable. And well, you saw everything exploded digitally, right? Because we couldn't go any place in person. And so both the efficacy of the solutions, which are now documented through clinical studies, the access, and then you've got a whole host of clinicians who can give you support in a virtual way. The fact that that lowers the cost for help means that people who you know, previously couldn't afford help can now get help. Yeah. Now, Tiger, I know CeCe's on your board, so there's a special relationship there. But talk a little more broadly about what you see happening in the well-being industry. Is it actually an industry? Are you seeing more and more companies like this growing up during this period of change? There's no question that the well-being industry, even the definition, has changed. There's now a more holistic view of well-being that includes physical, psychological, economic, and professional well-being. This means more companies potentially can now be considered to fall under the overall well-being umbrella. So for example, the lack of access to sanitizer or toilet paper, or let's stretch our imagination, flour and eggs has meant that grocery stores and consumer goods companies play a vital role in people's well-beings. And these companies have had to quickly adjust to the impact of the crisis this year. For example, rocketing demand for goods has put supply chain under pressure. We worked with Kraft Heinz's supply chain team to replan production, simplify the product mix, and secure extra transportation capacity to keep its products on retailers' shelves. So in some respects, supply chain has now become important for well-being. Now for those companies who have always been part of the well-being space, how they deliver that well-being has also changed dramatically. Prediction became a matter of life and death so for example, for a healthcare client, we have had to quickly refocus its commercial analytics team to predict where demand for PPE would spike so it could make fast changes to its supply chain. Very interesting. What else are you seeing right now? Online has become a way to treat patients. One of our clients, a leading eye care provider, pivoted during the pandemic to a platform that enables doctors and optometrists to hold virtual consultations. Are they all going to go back to their old ways? I guess not. 
Those with digital technologies in place to move fast during the pandemic are the ones who I think have really redefined the well-being industry as we know it. So I guess, CC, digital mental health, Headspace, or in the virtual at-home fitness, Peloton. Companies that have actually taken advantage that they actually were embracing digital way before the pandemic. And what happens next? So I'll, I'll give you a personal uh, reaction first and then, a, and then a broader reaction, Alan, if that's okay. I think people need to balance their emotional well-being, their health, which actually then transcends into the emotion. The fact that they're all working from home and with all the distractions and the pressure and the simultaneous action needed, I think this is now here to stay. And clearly there is the world of digital that has made it more ubiquitous, more measurable, more usable pay by the drink, available on the cloud. So I think it's a whole industry that's gonna have a secular long-term trajectory with a lot of innovation happening in the space, I believe. So CC, you don't become CEO until January, I know, but look ahead for us. How has the future of Headspace changed because of what's happened in the last eight or nine months? You know, Alan, there's two main things that I would say are the biggest changes. And one of them is how we think about our responsibility socially. And if you just think about the people that we serve, we serve healthcare providers, we serve educators. And this year, we made our offerings free to healthcare providers. We saw a 400% increase in use, which is not really surprising. But you just think about what they're dealing with. And then we did the same thing for K through 12 educators. Again, heavy burden that these people are going through. And then in the, in the summer, when unemployment hit an all-time high, we made it free to all unemployed people. And that all of that was a big shift for the company. But I think the whole giving back component really changed at Headspace. But the other one I'd mention is what has happened in our enterprise or employer base. If you listen to the number of times a CEO made reference in their quarterly earnings call to their responsibility for the mental health of their employees. It's 5X what it used to be. And our uh, members through enterprises is up 300%. And in fact, when we launch, the average enrollment is 40%. It's, so it's huge. Yeah, Cece, that fits so well with our experience at Fortune. Tiger, you were in many of these CEO calls we did earlier in the pandemic. I remember Mark Benioff of Salesforce telling us that 34% of his employees had reported some sort of mental health challenges, which was new uh, and a shock to me. And a similar conversation with the CEO of Synchrony, Margaret Keene. So it's clearly become top of mind for so many of the people running large companies. One of the interesting things to me, Cece, about Headspace is that you look at mental and physical and professional all combined. Uh, people really have to have some alignment between all three of those to be successful in the workplace. It's true. Our mental health has a direct impact on our physical health. And so, you know, if, even if you look at something like migraine headaches or MS, Mindfulness is one of the key ways that people treat those kinds of symptoms. We can't cure it, but we can treat it. If you don't get treatment, then what is a you know, less acute case of mental illness can move into a chronic physical or mental condition, which is why, again, we think the fact that this is talked about for everyone is a really good thing. And Alan, because CC as a board member is here, this will be a pertinent point to make. The compensation committee of the board and the board decided this year 
post the pandemic, etc., to introduce a portion of the long-term incentive plan and the bonus that me and my leadership team get tied to the well-being and the, let's call it the satisfaction levels of our employees globally. And that, to me, is an indication of how important it's become. And I think it's not only COVID-19. I think it's now forever. Well, and a piece of it is also tied to work from home. Uh, no question about that. I've spent a lot of time talking to my employees. They have much more complicated stresses in their lives today, trying to be caregivers and workers, sometimes educators all at the same time. And they lose the social interaction of the workplace. How are you both thinking about a work from home impact on well-being? So if I can uh, start off, um, a bunch of my leaders have actually shared you know, our work life and the way we are trying to strike balance. Because leaders look at other leaders and say, are you being a role model? So I have said, I'm going to take vacation and I've actually taken it. And when I take a vacation a week off, I actually completely switch off, which is again, not normal for me. But I've done it deliberately because I know people are watching. And then they have the courage to do it themselves. Another one is where we tell people, feel free to say, I'm not available. And that's fine. But if you don't share it, then no one will know, in which case people will set up meetings. Again, I would argue this is going to remain with us. Yeah, and, and, and Cece, what are you seeing in how people are dealing with the work-from-home challenges? We've done some of the same things and maybe a couple different aspects. And, you know, one of the things that's really great is most of us now talk about bringing your whole self to work, which is awesome. But our whole self has changed. And so, yes, beyond work from home, you know, even just the stress people are going through or one area that we're particularly focused on right now is the impact to caregivers, which is mostly women. And you guys have seen the stats from September that, you know, four times as many women are now leaving the workforce because they're caregivers. But a couple of things that we've done that maybe are a little bit different. They're both programs for employees and they do what Tiger just talked about is they enable us to do some role modeling, which is, of course, talking about our own situation. But we now start all of our all hands with a meditation. Now we're a mindfulness company, but the beauty of that is that every single employee, even though we're, we're meditating for ourselves, we're going through it together and it's role modeling. We have twice during the day, 30 minute blocks where no meetings are allowed to be scheduled. There is a group meditation if you wanna join it, but it's mainly to say, get off of Zoom and just stop for 30 minutes and just get up and move around. Every other Friday is a no meeting day so that you can just focus. And then the alternative Friday is a mind day, which means you're not supposed to do anything for headspace. You're supposed to take care of yourself. And we've surveyed our employees on this and 90% of them feel that it's improved their focus and delivery. And then we were concerned about, well, do managers feel like we're being as productive? And an equal amount felt that the productivity and the team mindset had improved. So just a couple of things that we've done. That's great. It's hard to do, Tiger, isn't it? It's very hard to impose that kind of discipline on the organization. It is, and, and that's why exemplary leadership behavior is incredibly important, because only then people say, okay, if he or she can do it, then I'm going to try and do it. The other thing that we have found in the first couple of months, people were really wanting to step up and contribute in all kinds of ways to things that were happening around them, to the community, to the hospital. You know, they saw the pain around them. And we realized that actually it was giving those people who could a great degree of satisfaction and actually contributed back to their feeling good about their situation, emotional, mental, etc. 
So we decided to unleash that in a programmatic way. And we did two things. One, we actually said one hour a week, you can just contribute. And then here are the channels for contribution. And if you total up 100,000 people contributing one hour a week, that's a lot of time. The second thing we did was we said we have a learning platform inside the company that teaches and trains our people. Why don't we just open up to the outside world? Uh, and, and we took that decision overnight and we said, yeah, let's just do it. We now have 15,000 odd people who have signed up. No cost. You want to learn basic digital? Just come learn at your own pace and then use it to get a next job. But, but I'm sure you both must have had people who say to you, you know, when you say, oh, you don't have to do meetings on Friday or you can take a day off and do this for the community. People will say, but wait a minute, what work are you taking off of my plate? What is it that I don't have to do that I had to do before? How are you making my workload easier so I can do these things? I know that's true because I'm getting those questions. So, so how do you deal with that? What I do think it does is it does cause us to say, What's the critical thing that we must do? What's the most important? And I think every single organization is doing more than they should. And so it, it has caused us to say at the end of the day and literally ask my leaders, list out the thing that's most important all the way down in stack rank order. And let's consider taking off the bottom 20%. And most of the time, it doesn't affect us. Yeah, yeah, it, it forces prioritization. It's tough. Work is going faster, change is going faster. CC, your business is growing much faster. And so you have to manage all of that and at the same time manage yourself. And that's a challenge. Yeah, Alan, one other thing that struck me in CC's answer is, uh, and, and I, it reminded me of what we have done. So as a culture, I and my team have been big believers in collective problem solving. So if there's a problem to be solved, I prefer if 15 people get into the room, duke it out, spend two hours and come up with a great solution. And therefore, I'm a big believer in crowdsourcing ideas, which means it actually pulls people in into problem areas that necessarily they don't really own, but they feel thrilled about contributing. Now let's turn to today's world. If that continues, then there's a limit to which you can contribute time, effort, etc. So we have found a way to say, guys, look, if you're busy, don't worry. The three of these people will take the decision as long as you trust them, and then we'll move forward. All of us don't need to contribute to that decision. That's a change for us. Interesting. It's a little uncomfortable. You've cut back on participation in decision-making. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. important too. So let me ask you both a personal question. You've been under as much stress as anyone during this crisis. What are your techniques? What can people learn from both of you and how you manage this kind of stress? And Tiger, I'll make you go first. <laughs> uh, I do believe that being a, in a calm state in your mind does make a difference. And for me, that comes from going out for a run. So I've been a pretty habitual runner. However, in the last eight months, my average run per day has gone up two and a half times. Wow. Yeah, 2.5 times. Whoa. And I just am religious about it. I, I, I've not missed it. I obviously track everything. I'm a metrics guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cece, what's your trick? You know, one thing, uh, you know, Tiger and Alan, one of th the things that was unusual for me joining Headspace is that I joined during the pandemic. So I've yet to ever go into the office as an employee. Huh. And so it's been, an, you know, a bit of an odd onboarding. And one of the things that I realized, but it took me a while, that I was missing is I'm a playful person. And I'm also a bit of a practical jokester. 
but I need to have fun during the day. And it, I didn't feel like that was happening. I was just going Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. And I didn't know people that well. And so I kind of stepped back and said, I need to get some more play going on here. And so we've started incorporating that into some of our SLT meetings. We also meet much more frequently, so we build that bond. But the other piece that I would mention is the role of mindfulness. And what I realized is my perceptions of it were not necessarily correct, or at least not correct for me, and I've adjusted that. So I'm a runner just like Tiger is, but now I'm super mindful in the run. So instead of using it as a way to run through my calendar for the day, I literally am focusing on how the air feels, what it feels like when my feet hit, what does my breathing sound like? But, and I look forward to it because it's like my private time because there is no phone with me that someone can call me. It's just my time. And so just my view of what mindfulness actually is and the concept around it's really just about being present has, for me, been super helpful. Yeah, I think you're going to have to work on Tiger a little here, CC. I know that he listens to esoteric AI podcasts when he's out running. <laughs> and by the way, Alan, uh, CC, I don't know if you know, uh, I have discovered that Manhattan has 21 bridges that connects the island of Manhattan, and I've crossed all 21 of them. That's amazing. That's fantastic. That's a great accomplishment. Congratulations, Tiger. Okay, so here's the big question. If you can take yourself back to March, what's the one thing you know now that you wish you had known then? You know, for me, I wish I had known all of the things that were going to happen over the summer, because again, it's COVID, it's a recession, it's racial injustice, it's the political system, and the amount of stress that put on people. I wish I would have known how intense that was going to be. And entering into the world that I'm now in, you know, I have employees that what they do is they hear the stories of people with mental health issues, which was even more of a burden. And so I wish I had anticipated that sooner and I could have implemented some programs before, uh, you know, I feel like the pain started to show on them. Yeah, great. Tiger, how about you? We've always been big communicators in the company, starting from the leadership and cascading down. We use all kinds of technologies and forums for communicating, and we've always prided ourselves on that. But if I then compare what we used to do until the first week of March and what we have done subsequently, uh, we realize that we were just scratching the surface. <laughs> uh, the degree to which technology allows you to communicate in a very intimate way to 100,000 people without waiting for travel to happen, I think is something that is a wow. Why didn't we do this earlier? So interesting. It has been a year that's forced so many changes, many of them good. It's gotten us to do things that we probably should have done a long time ago, uh, but we're just starting to do now. Thank you both, Cece, Tiger. As this conversation has shown us, we've all had to reinvent ourselves to some degree, and I appreciate your wisdom in talking about it. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Thank Alan. Thank you, Cece. You too, Tiger. Reinventing Well-Being with GenPact was produced by Fortune Brand Studio. Fortune editorial staff were not involved in its creation or production. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fortune.